Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about the new Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman 1984. Yes. It's been stylized in the title as WW84. Yes. This has been released in some cinemas, but primarily this is a streaming release. Video on demand, HBO Max. And I think it's interesting. It may be a kind of a bellwether in that this is, I think, the first blockbuster, really, on paper blockbuster, that COVID has kept from cinemas and actually released into people's homes. This is the thing that should be drawing people to cinemas. Exactly. So this is the type of film that should be getting us all to go out uh, and instead, because of COVID, it's being released in your own home, though it has in in some cinemas as well. Uh, And I must say, I can't tell if the film is just so bad or if actually seeing it on a small screen makes it worse yeah kind of that's just a question that now we'll have to ask I mean would it have been any better on a big screen it was on my mind I think parts of it would be I, I enjoyed parts of it here and I enjoyed quite a lot of it to be honest but I do see all the flaws that people are well I don't know I haven't read any reviews but I haven't read any reviews there's just this general kind of thing going around that wow this is rubbish and people love the first one yes I, I think we, uh, we should remind people that at least my practice in viewing this is not to read anything yeah it's like you watch the film and then you talk about it. And so you're just speaking about your feelings, first impressions. I mean, I rarely yeah. have ever read anything on, on it at all. I mean, I, always, I have to look up to see who the actors' names are on yeah, Wiki. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, going around on, on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, it, like, it, things are in the air. You get the impression or, or posts that people share on Facebook. Yes. You, get, you, know, people, you, know, you see the headline, Wonder Woman is not that great or whatever the headline. Well, friends have been saying how awful it is. And really, it is. Yeah, like my view is that it is. So... You know, I began looking at it generously because the whole of the first scene, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh my, you know, it might be, who knows how, what it'll end up being like. But you can imagine how that whole opening, you know, a young girl watching that will go, wow. Yeah, like it's, you know. Yeah, I thought uh, the same thing. And, and, and how that has been lacking in cinema, actually. You know, so, you know, to have like a young eight or nine year old girl kind of do those amazing feats of athleticism and win and grit and has a moral at the end. I mean, that is very rare. Yeah. And I was saying to you that that and then the following scene, which catches up. So the the first scene is in ancient uh, Athens or Amazonia, wherever the place is called with the ancient Amazons. And um, and then the second scene catches up to Diana as an adult in 1984, mm. and she uh, saves some people from some robbers in a shopping mall. Yes. And there are elements of that where I was saying, this reminds me of things that I watched in like 1995 when I was a little kid. Things like Dunstan Checks In or The Page Master, which were yes. small and you know they were far from the best films, but they had lots of stuff that kids really enjoy. Little bits of silliness, little characters little moments that really stayed with me and I love. Yes. What I said to you as well was part of the problem, and I think we're culpable too, with superhero movies, which are everywhere, is that they are really children's entertainment being taken very seriously by adults. Too seriously. And I thought if this actually really buys into it being children's entertainment, that could be fantastic. And mm-hmm. I thought it was doing that at the start. I really enjoyed the opening. Um, well, it clearly didn't do that. But actually, in the scene that you mentioned, I began to already have problems with it, right? Because, you know, you can see how there are a whole series of beats, action beats, actually, in that uh, sequence in the mall, 
you know, and how so many of the elements were missing. Yeah, that you know, you would expect to have a laugh at a certain point. Yeah, that the things that the characters were doing required a laugh at the end, and I wasn't getting it. Yeah, right. And it felt kind of charmless and forced, and like you know, not very well done at all, both in terms of action uh, and visually, you know, and uh, uh, in terms of performance. I actually think that to a large extent, this whole film is miscast in important ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like Chris Pine very much. And he was very good in the first one. And he, you know, and he's Chris Pine. I mean, you know, he's amongst the better things in the film. So it's not a criticism of him or of his performance or, you know, anything like that. But to me, the whole character is misconceptualized. It's the man that Wonder Woman kind of longs for and dreams about and, you know, wants back, right? And actually, the film never shows you why. You know, why he's so fantastic and yearned for and wanted, really. Mm. You know, he doesn't move very well. He's not, he doesn't look very sexy. You know, he doesn't do the action particularly well, like, you know, so... I do know what you mean. Um, I kind of have a problem with that entire strand of the story. So I guess we should say briefly, the story centres on this magic rock. Diana is a geologist, archaeologist, or something like that in the Museum of Natural History in DC. And this rock shows up and no one can really identify it. And it turns out this is magic and it grants wishes. Mm -hmm. And it's your classic monkey paw thing to the point where they actually use the phrase monkey paw about it it's that brazen that you wish for something and it comes with a cost and so the bad guy Pedro Pascal wants his hands on it he wants all the power in the world he's a very Donald Trumpy kind of figure kind of media mogul liar businessman 80s character Donald Trump runs through the film doesn't he yeah um, and what Diana wishes for without meaning to she's holding the rock and she just thinks oh I know what I'd wish for mm. and it turns out what she wished for is Chris Pineback because he died in the first film mm. and he's the guy from 1918 that she fell in love with Steve Trevor I think mm-hmm. his name is and so he comes back he winds up in someone else's body but then you know through through movie magic you see it's actually him it's because you see his soul inside yeah exactly <laughs> But the cost is that it drains her power. She's no longer as powerful as she was, and she needs that power to defeat the bad guy, who's gaining more and more power. And uh, as woke as the film is in all sorts of ways, that's really not a very woke thing. She will not give up. You know, the guy who she loves. I said to you, like, doesn't she doesn't she miss any of the Amazons that she can't see ever again? Well, actually, I thought that my reading of it was well the same but different. Yeah. In the sense that I thought, oh my god, this is like a you know a lesbian movie. Yeah, in the sense that, like, or, well, certainly a feminist one, in that, you know, you can never really be whole or yourself or half the world be in a right place unless you get rid of the man. <laughs> yeah, So you have to renounce the wish right, for that man yeah. in order to be whole. <laughs> so I, I was reading it as, as she, she loves him, she's been pining for him for 50 years, and she's finally got him back. And then he has to convince her to renounce the wish to get her powers back and give him up to, you know, do it right. Well, that's probably more accurate than mine. (laughs) Yeah, like, that is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, So I found that a little bit... uh, I don't know, it felt like that hadn't been thought through. I I actually found that relationship quite romantic. And I found it quite romantic that he was the one who had to convince her. Like, in the moment, it really worked for me. But the kind of overall reading of it seems antithetical to the kind of things that the film wants to The film doesn't make sense. I mean, uh, you know, throughout it all, I really, you know, and actually I'm reminded of Victor Perkins' comment, like, never think yourself superior to the film because, you know, nobody is, right? Like, 
you know, kind of a film is made up of like thousands of like really great minds and very talented people and people who know all this stuff, right? So it's always a mistake for a critic to think themselves superior to the film. Uh, but I thought this film was really quite dumb. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah. so bad. In, in things, I, I think the dumbness in things like the monkey paw, you know, wish thing could have had a certain charm. And I do think that Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig hmm. as the villains... Yeah, as they as their villainy develops, they really try to sell it, and I like their performances very much. I love their performances very much, but they're not well used, you know. So, yeah. so I think they themselves are great, but they are not showcased properly or dramatized properly. You know, there are entire things that you think, oh, this should be in close up, or this should be from far away, or you know, Kristen Wiig should have been filmed more elegantly or beautifully, or in a way that what's the word like. Uh, you know, that showcases her movement or, you know, yeah, so so she often does very funny comic bits with her body mm. that I think are just a bit too far away to have full impact. Yeah, so mm. I think there's all kinds of problems with the direction of this film that I have, you know, and it, it sometimes sinks, sinks them. I think, uh, you know, I mentioned several times, probably because, you know, I was a little bit bored, things <laughs> like... You know, the hair colour, right, on on the actors, right? Mm. It's atrocious. Yeah, Chris Pine's hair. I don't know what they were going for with that. I mean, it's really atrocious. It's a lack of care of, you know, who lets an actor kind of go out with that hair. It's like, you know, really horrible auburn streaks, like, you know, kind of seemingly done with a ladle, right? Underneath all this grey. I mean, it's just awful, mm. right? So, so I think there's a lack of sensitivity to to actors and how they look and what they can do and a, a kind of a protection of them, actually. I didn't yeah. know if they were, with his hair in particular, trying to do... Try, if that was part of the, you know, his bad fashion sense in the 80s, because he's from 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Um, well, 60 years ago, he would not have been wearing red streaks. <laughs> no, but like the thing, you know, the, they have that scene, which you've seen a hundred times, of him coming into the future and then seeing all the clothes and trying it all, and it's all different, and it wasn't very funny in this. But I thought that might be what they were trying to do. Like, he's wound up with this bizarre fashion sense trying to fit in. But they don't sell it as such. It is just this weird hair that you don't know what to do with. No. Um, um, I mean, you know, but he wouldn't have had time to go to the hairdresser. So there's a difference between, you know, having that pretty pretty woman moment with the clothes, where he's just showcasing clothes, which actually is really not very nice or very pleasant, right? Because that is just poking fun at an era, right? Mm. I don't even think it's particularly affectionate, really. Uh, you know, you're making fun of how, you know, people like me in the 80s used to dress. You know, and part of you think, well, we never dressed like that. <laughs> like, you know, that. <laughs> right? I mean, this is all like outfits out of a catalog or something, right? But partly it also felt a, a looking down on or a talking down to the era, right? Mm. You know? So on the one hand, it's obviously meant to evoke Orwell's 1984, right? On the other hand, it has this whole political messaging about truth and so on that's clearly referencing the the Trump era, right? And on the other hand, there is, I suppose, it's trying to feed into people's nostalgia for the 80s, which are a bit in vogue, but actually which the film kind of betrays because, you know, it doesn't seem to have an affection for that, for it. No, I think the most effective thing it does with its setting in the 80s is it, uses it to build a theme of more, 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 which is mm. what Pedro Pascal's character is all about. Yes. So he turns himself into this magic stone by wishing to be it. Yes. 
and then in in so doing he he gets people i think it's quite a funny idea um that he gets people to grant wishes he really wants granted by grabbing them and saying don't you wish for this and they go yes and he goes ah oh, wish granted so he get he starts to accumulate lots and lots of power doing that and i think it really engages quite humorously with the idea that you know, all of a sudden you get into what are the rules of this? And he starts asking that, like, can I do that? What are the rules? So that thing that, that sci-fi and comic people always have of how does this actually work? He's doing it too. To the point where it becomes the whole thing of he gets himself an audience with the president. He gets he manages to get the president to make a wish. He takes all his power and stuff. And then he uses the global television broadcast. And the, and the president says it touches people all over the nation. He's like, touch? Is this... You know, so... <laughs> And, and even then, it's not—it's like the film isn't selling it as... It's not trying to sneak that past you because when he gets into the studio to do the actual broadcast to everyone, he grabs a guy and says, don't you wish this works? Mm. <laughs> you know, So he's not sure it's going to work. I do think that's quite effective and quite funny. And the thing about him accumulating more power and more money and more this, more that, destroys him from the inside and physically destroys him. He gets veins all over him, his eyes start bleeding, his ears start bleeding, and he becomes a worse, worse person. His hair gets worse throughout the film, he's it's sweating. I do think actually that is I think that's not bad direction either. I know you're saying oh it doesn't make him look his best and everything, but I think the way it shows him physically degrading and it's also in his performance in that he becomes more frantic and more angry and also lustful for power. I think that's I think that works very well. I think he is a well constructed villain. Um, yes. And that's what it does with the era in terms of, you know, that Reaganomics era of you can have anything the, you want, it's all, up, it's all yours. It, it would fit in that era very nicely. Well, to a point, but not well enough. So, for example, you know, one of the things that it made me instantly kind of recall is, you know, Mike Douglas' character in Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. Greed is good, right? Gordon Gecko. Yeah. It kind of it brings that up to mind, right? But you never get any sense of that. You never get the sense that, you know, the Pascal character here, that there's something good he wants for. It's just like sheer kind of selfishness and power and, you know. And no, so I'm not sure, yeah. Um, so I think... It's just pure villainy. And the film ends with Diana, Wonder Woman, kind of taking over this broadcast, broadcasting truth with her lasso to the yes. country through the, you know, just yellow screens everywhere. And she addresses them and basically says... She, she appeals to their better nature and says, be less selfish, give up your wish. It's better well, for the world. I wish it would have been worded like that because actually it doesn't come across like that. And to me, it seemed odd and stupid, hmm. you know, and, and actually like not thought through that there are implications of this. So she's telling people, give up your wish, accept reality. You know, reality is beauty. Which is like, you know, a whole series of Hallmark postcards in, you know, one after the other of utmost banality and actually falseness, right? Why would you want people to give up their wishes, right? Like, yeah, I mean, obviously in this instance, because it's destroying them. But the idea that people's wishes destroy them is actually a horrible idea. Well, I think it's in this, at least to me, it comes across quite clearly that it's more about it's costing the world. It's costing your neighbour. You know, everything is getting worse because of everyone's wishes being turned against Sure, in the narrative of the film, yes. But the film, I mean, these are almost like philosophical moments in the film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of deal with truth and so on. So you're you're telling people, give up your dreams, give up your wishes, right? Like, accept reality. Well, that's very good for you, you know, (laughs) Miss Gail Gadot, Amazon, who can fly, right? (laughs) You know? But why, you know, if uh, if I'm living on a park bench, why shouldn't I wish for a home, right? Like, uh, yeah, Mm. I mean, 
That whole thing just doesn't make sense. Really. It's true. They don't, I don't think they show a homeless person wishing. What they largely show... They, they show an end to the troubles, which is interesting. They show a woman in a, in a, running a cafe in London, I guess, who says to a customer, I wish all you Irish bastards would get sent home. And then the Irish guy goes, I wish you were dead. And it's like, fucking hell, that, that's quite bold. And <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know... Like, it has an interesting sort of take on the troubles, and it also has an interesting take on Middle East politics of the time, where when he wants power, he wants oil, because he runs his oil company, Pedro Pascal, this is, goes to Cairo and tries to do his trick, and he says, I'll take all your oil. That's the cost that he's able to extract from the wish. And the guy goes, we sold our, all our oil to Saudi Arabia. And I'm going, does Saudi Arabia buy oil? Like, what, what is this understanding of the Middle East in the 1980s? I thought all of those things were so stupid. Really, and um, what's the word? Tactless, yeah. really. There's a great central relationship here, which is with the Kristen Wig character and Wonder Woman, and it's completely badly handled, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Kristen Wig is marvelous. She's marvelous at the beginning, she's kind of marvelous as she begins to get her powers, right? Then I think they changed the actress for the last feline tiger moment. But it's certainly kind of the face looks completely like the face of someone else. I mean, that might just be CGI. I think it probably... I mean, it looks like extra scenes from Cats. It does. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Cats Go Wild. Yeah. Oh, no, what's that uh, show where with the women who, you know... Oh, uh, Wonder... No, who show their tits. Thundercats. No, they... they the something go wild, yeah. The, the girls go wild. The girls go wild, <laughs> yes. So this is Cats Go Wild, really. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, I mean, I thought it was almost like inevitable, right, that you would have a cat fight, yeah, for lack of a better word, (laughs) with all the negative connotations that that has in this film. But actually, I really resented that the uh, weight of the film, the moral weight of the film, yeah, kind of what the film is fighting for, the the ideas behind the film, weren't actually uh, fought through with women, yeah, that kind mm. of, you know, that actually at the end it really becomes her versus Pascal, right? It was actually, I thought they could have done something better. Uh, I think there's a kind of a betrayal of women in this film, kind of in many ways, kind of structurally, right? Like, so for example, I would have liked the Pascal character to uh, have had a daughter, right? Rather than a son. Rather than a son. I think it would have, you know, made a nice rhyme with the little Diana Prince character at the beginning, yeah? Um, so little things like that, I, I think, would have added resonance and, you know, and so on. Um, well, I suggested that I think the handling of the relationship between Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor is a betrayal of, I think, what the film, on paper, says it wants to go for. Because right. I think it turns Wonder Woman into this pining sort of idiot. And it's a waste... It, I mean, I think, you know, the idea of bringing Chris Pine back is a stupid one because he's completely wasted. The character does nothing. It can do nothing. It's completely ineffectual except for that moment, you know, where he asks her to renounce him, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. so you arrive, you waste 45 minutes of the film and then, you know, you tell her to send you back. I mean, it's a complete nonsense of a character. Um, in terms of uh, the idea of it betraying women, surely we can see that in the um, Christian Wig character as well. Yes. You know, the way she kind of starts to embody a new kind of femininity so the whole thing at the start about how she she doesn't look like Gal Gadot and how could she so beautiful and she can't even wear heels 
and she wishes to be more like Wonder Woman basically she doesn't know that she's Wonder Woman she only knows that she's Diana Prince she says I wish I was more like her and as she becomes more like her more more powerful and standing up for herself because I think the, she only says she only makes that wish after she's saved by her right from the um, from the creepy guy and so she starts to become stronger more independent and more feminine you know in kind of the most typical way she, she starts wearing sexier things you know everyone remarks upon that when she goes to work but also she becomes physically stronger you see her in the gym but she becomes basically more of a bitch I know. <laughs> the whole time too I, mean, I think that, that whole thing is so um, Hollywood but Hollywood in the negative sense that it lacks it's a film that lacks culture you know you would imagine the Christian Wick character to you know, she's a scientist, after all. She's a scholar. Mm. You know, you would hope that she would wish for knowledge, right? Or world peace, or a cure for cancer. I mean, you, you, yeah, the way that the characters conceptualize at the beginning, right? Mm. Or, to, or to learn Latin, which she doesn't know. Or, yeah, like, instead, like, the wish is just to, to be able to wear high heels. Yeah, well, the wish I is mean, to be more like her. So, she, so what she sees in, in Diana is everything that she's not. Because Diana does speak Latin, Diana does all this, so... I suppose she's wishing for that too, but the way it's expressed in the film is, is sexier clothing and a sexier kind of attitude, I yes. suppose, a sexier demeanour, and more powerfully. So when she has a second encounter with the creepy guy who um, tries to well, assault her um, on the street, she fights him off and it's quite vicious. But I'm sitting there going, you know, this guy really deserves what he gets. He's horrible. And okay, he's been smashed in the face, his nose is bleeding. This is the worst thing. But it's being it's being set up as like this is her starting to come out as a villain. I'm sitting there going, I'm really with her at the moment. Well, <laughs> I, well, a I'm not with her, and also, I think that the film reduces Kristen Wiig's lack that all her problems are solved by wearing high heels and having all the men in the office notice her sexually is really creepy. Mm. Yeah, I mean. And, and betrays to me what Wonder Woman stands for because, you know, I read the Wonder Woman comic books as a kid and actually what you always felt was like, not only was it exciting and beautiful and so on, right? But actually there was always like a kind of a bit of a history lesson or, yeah, like a lesson in Greek mythology or who Aris was or who Hero was or, yeah, mm-hmm. all the gods and the goddesses, right? And it was like a reconceptualization of a world in which kind of women were self-sufficient in, you know, Amazon Island, right? Mm. Like, all of those things. So there was this combination of, like, uh, you know, the Greek mythology, right? And also a kind of a feminist point of view. And then a kind of a dealing with contemporary issues. In fact, there was a whole uh, series of the comic books where Diana Prince lost her powers, right? And so she just had to get by on karate, right? But she had to go learn it. So she went to a sensei in Tibet or something to be taught, right? Yeah, there's so much in the film about both history and knowledge and learning, yeah, and a kind of politics. And this is like high shoes and having, you know, men with their tongues hanging out for you. That's what it's all reduced to. I mean, it's Mm. terrible. Yeah. On the other hand, I did make mention that when Kristen Wiig is being seduced by Pedro Pascal, because he wants access to the stone that he knows that she has. That's quite a steamy scene, you know. I mean, if it weren't, you know, whether this is PG-13 or whatever the hell it is, they'd be fucking on the desk, like they pretty mm. much are. Mm. You know, and on the other hand, when 
Diana gets her guy back, who she's been pining for for sixty years. You see them wake up in bed, and it's uh, like there's nothing. What they do is they go for a walk. You know the way that people in like erection pill adverts are like, "Oh, finally, I can go for a walk with my wife," because they can't actually say what you can do with an erection because it's on TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I can go for a walk. <laughs> it's like that. Show off my heart on public. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, finally, I have the guy back that I love, that I've been waiting for, that I've been missing for so long. I can finally go for a walk with him. It's completely sexless. I found that quite... You know, you're always complaining about people's lack of sex drive in movies. I would have thought this... <laughs> well, I mean, this film had so many things wrong with it that... So, so I want to specify, like, I actually... I, I didn't have a bad time watching it, right? Like, mm. you know, it kind of... I love superhero movies. I love kind of, you know, movies with female protagonists. You know, uh, Gadot looks beautiful. You know, so like I don't want to over complain. You know, except to say it's a really bad movie. It's a really <laughs> missed opportunity, right? And what kept drawing my eye was actually the direction. You know, that I always, you know, you kept thinking in some of those fight scenes. You know, the camera should be higher. The camera should be lower. There should be more variety of angles, or you know, kind of everything is at the same eye level. Why? Like, it's so dull, right? Like, yeah. there's such a lack of imagination in terms of how things can be shown or how things can be dramatized or made dynamic, right, kind of within the frame that, uh, you know, all the other things kind of, in a way, paled in comparison. The, the chase scenes are terrible, you know? Like, the whole scene with, uh, you know, tr- going in the desert with... You know, after the Pascal character with the lasso and Steve hanging around, it's so dull, right? I think some of this would have looked a lot better in the cinema. I agree with you to a great extent that there's a real flatness to a lot of the direction, but not entirely. And there were there were things that that I enjoyed. There were things that I think, are so, like when she's lassoing herself and swinging off thunderbolts, I thought in a cinema that would. That's, have a, that's great. a wonderful idea. Yeah. That's a, so there are moments like that. Not enough of them. No, not enough of them. And I largely agree with you. Um, speaking of the lasso, I like her reliance on it in this film, which I don't think... I hadn't really... I don't remember it in Justice League. I don't remember it very much in Wonder Woman. What you had was the thing that you it wraps around you and it makes you tell the truth, and they've relied on that quite a bit. There's a very comic yes. moment in... I think it was Justice League when she wraps it around um, Aquaman and he starts talking about how hot she is and stuff. Mm. But in this, it's a, it's a real practical... You know, fighting implement, and she uses it all the time for various things. And I, I actually really enjoyed the way that she uses it, the way it's employed. Well, it looks fantastic, and actually, it's one of the few truly dynamic things in the film. Yeah, that mm. kind of, you know, it's exciting to watch just her maneuver it so naturally. It's obviously a great special effect. You know, so I agree with you on that. But, but to me, that just points out to the lack in other aspects of the film. Mm. Really, anyway, yeah. it really is as poor as people say. And I'm kind of disappointed that uh, that it is so. Because it's directed by Patty Jenkins, who directed the first one. Like I say, people really, really love the first one. Yes. I had a good time with the first one. Yes. Um, yeah. So well, this is, you know... Not great. And two and a half hours long, which is very long, really. But I don't mind that, weirdly. I mean, maybe, you know, because... Yeah. I do know what you mean. Like, I was never so... Uh, it kept me engaged throughout. But you did feel like there are times when... If you look back, you go, well, this could be compressed or removed. The whole thing with the with the uh, invisible jet is a really pointless moment. Yeah. And it takes quite a while. And they yeah. set up this whole thing about stealing the jet to go to Cairo. Mm. It's like, you could just, well, you take that out, you would be missing nothing. What you'd be missing is a scene of pointless pro-American spectacle where they fly through the fireworks 
on January uh, on July fourth, and it looked quite nice. It would look nice in the cinema. I like the effect of the you know the the fire yeah. kind of wrapping around the invisible jet, but it's it's not adding up to anything. It is no. empty spectacle. Actually, actually, that is a thing about this movie. Like sometimes you're looking at these shots and you go, "Wow, this shot must have cost a lot of money," <laughs> right? But actually, that doesn't make it beautiful or elegant or dramatic or you know it doesn't make you go, "Wow," it, you know, or at least for me. But I do, I suppose, want to insist that this is one of those bad movies that I actually kind of enjoyed watching, that I could see myself, you know, watching again on television if it happens to be on, kind of, you know, mm. watching 20 minutes of it before turning the channel. I mean, it, it isn't offensively bad. What do you think would draw you back? Is it the acting? Is it Pedro Pascal? He would draw me back. I love Kristen Wiig. I love uh, Pedro Pascal. I love the, all of the scenes with the Amazons I like. You early, know, on. early on. Um, that is about it. You mm. know, except, you know, I often watch action kind yeah. of in, in the background. I like it. Um, though this was, this was, I think, very poor. Um, so it's one of those bad movies that may linger a long time you know, on television <laughs> and so on without really offending anyone. Sure. It does kind of confirm to me what I had had in the back of my head, which is that I think Gal Gadot is not really an actor. I, I, I don't think she has chemistry with anyone really. Actually, she almost turned me around when she starts crying at having to leave Steve Trevor. I thought, oh, I'm starting to feel something from her. But normally I find she's beautiful and she looks apart and everything. But... I'm not a huge fan of the way she moves. I don't think she has chemistry with people. I don't think she can deliver a line. She seems so stilted. I think you're right about all of that. And actually, you drew my attention to it. And I think it kind of harms the film. On the other hand, I think she's a star. Like, you can't help looking at her. She's so beautiful, mm. you know. Um, and that really comes out when you see her next to other characters. So <laughs> at the end, when they bring up the, you know, her new love interest, right? And you're like, who the fuck is he? He looks like a, you know, generic nobody, right? We checked. He's a Hallmark actor. actor right? He's the guy whose body Chris Pine had taken. That's right. Yeah. You know, so I think there's something to be said about someone who is so incredibly beautiful that you, you can't help looking at. She is a star, yeah. right? Like people like Hedy Lamar, you know, there have been dozens and if not hundreds of really bad actresses who are very big stars. And they're very big stars because they actually do bring something. Yeah, so they might also take something away, like their wishes <laughs> in this movie. Right? Yeah. But they also bring something, you know, and, and she is incredibly beautiful and, and, and charismatic. I can't help, I can't stop looking at her, really. Uh, so... Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish you could act. Well, but be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that old monkey hand might come and destroy you. <laughs> so yeah, I suppose ultimately, like you, you, you can sort of recommend this film because it's got something that we enjoyed, yeah. even if actually you all you're looking at are things you can criticise. I think I bitched for about two hours and 20 minutes. You did. Right. I gave up on you in the end because I was like, anything you say, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, we'll just leave it for the podcast because you were just going, oh, the hair, oh, the direction. And I was going, just <laughs> show me <watch> the movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so, mm, mm. 
uh, yeah, people are not wrong about this film. It is very bad. But I would recommend that people see this with very low expectations. That's probably the fairest way of putting it. Yeah. Good. It's all right. <laughs> uh, uh, on that note. it's Christmas. We're being charitable. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs>